0: Now a picture, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. There's a picture behind me, I think, of a crowd. Yep. It's a picture. But then there's a circle, that highlighting a person in the crowd. It's not just the eye, like for the unmistakable. It's, 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 it's highlighting, it zones you in. Uh, this week was Valentine's week. Some of you forgot. Well, there's always next year. You know, like, it's Valentine's week. And so if I were to just draw with red a little heart, that little heart, says love, or chocolate, or flowers, or whatever you did or didn't do. Pictures give us a mental view of, of something we believe, and the pictures are really helpful. Why do I say that? Because the Bible is filled with pictures, and this morning we're going to continue in our study in First Peter, and we've been in chapter 2 now, and what we forget is these aren't just words. These, they're not just random words. God, by the Spirit, gives the writers these words that are supposed to paint pictures, pictures of what life is supposed to be like. And when you think of all of the pictures in First Peter and in the Bible in general, especially the New Testament, the pictures usually point to something. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. And the songs we were singing were reminding us of who we are. Because Jesus came and died and rose again and ascended is on high and ruling the universe and leading our lives, who are you? Not just who is Jesus. Who are you because of Jesus? It is easy to forget in the grind called life who you are. Don't forget who you are. And then these pictures are going to not just point to who you are. The pictures are actually going to point to remember to Be all God made you to be. Who are you? And in light of who you are, the calling is for us to step into. If I am something because of Jesus, I need to live into it. I'm invited to live into it. And that's why we gather to remind ourselves, this is who we are, and this is what we do. And and why? Why crave? Last week was about craving. Why crave more and more of Jesus? Why? Well, let's just reread 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to continue verses 4 and following. We looked at verses 1 through 3. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go back. Uh, Let's just read it together. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And then a picture. Like newborn babies, crave Spiritual milk, so that in it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have, and another picture, you've tasted that the Lord is good. And we looked at it last week. There is more of the Lord to be had. That was last week's idea. I've tasted some of the goodness of Jesus. Have you tasted all of the goodness of Jesus? No. Have you experienced all of the depths of his love? Have you experienced all the depths of his mercy? Have you experienced all the depths of his power? No, you have not. So, as a Jesus person, yeah, I've tasted, and unfortunately some people feel like, well, I got all of Jesus already. No, you do not. We're just getting started. And when Jesus returns, there'll be no more craving for the Lord because we'll see him. We'll know him. Until then, Here's the invitation. It's not a command in the sense of, if you do this, God will love you. No, he already loves you. But because he loves you, crave more of the Lord to be had. And I I want that, man. I want that for my life. Like a newborn baby. And the picture is, God himself is all that we need. And like a baby wants more from mom, we are to want more from Jesus. More of him. Because he's life-giving, and like a mother gives birth to the child, in Christ, we are made alive. We're new. You're not the same person you used to be. You are now filled with the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. So there's, there's more. All right. Now there's more pictures. And again, some of these are obvious. But some of these, because the Bible is new to us, or we didn't live 2,000 years ago where they had more like common sense. It may, it may take some time to unpack it. Verse four. As you uh, come to him, the living stone, notice that one, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he's going to quote part of the Bible. For in Scripture it says, quote, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a precious, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. All right, some pictures we're going to look at because when we think about who we are, these pictures point to realities. And the first Picture is a living stone. Uh, Jesus is described by Peter as a living stone. Now, what in the world does that mean? Now, if you're newer to the Bible, you may think that's new. It's actually not. Three times clearly in the first part of the Bible that we call the Old Testament... There is a picture in the Bible about a stone that represents something. It's in Psalm 118, it's in Isaiah 8, it's in Isaiah 28. If you carefully looked at the little letters in your Bible that point to the margins, if you have one of those, you're going to realize Peter quotes all three. He takes the three pictures clearly in the Bible that are pointing to a cornerstone, a stone that's going to do something, and he says... This Jesus is the living stone. Now, the stone points to a building, and he says there's a cornerstone. You could say we're being built up into a spiritual house. You could also interpret it. The same word for house is the same word for temple. We're being built up into a spiritual temple, a place where God dwells. So what Peter is doing, you got to remember who he's talking to. He's talking to Jesus-loving people who are on the lower end of of society. Most of them are not full citizens. They don't have the rights of Rome. Most of them are in the poorer side of it. They're being ostracized for being, they're being pushed back on because they belong to what's called by Rome a cult. It's not even seen as a faith. It's seen as this obscure little cult that believes that this guy rose from the dead even though Rome clearly killed him. And now they, they, eat flesh and drink blood and do weird practices, which were all like misguided. This was not true. But they were being looked down upon because of their faith. And what what does Peter say to us as we live in a world that is increasingly looking down at Jesus-loving people? You know what he says? Don't forget who you are. Now, where did Peter get the Living stone is Jesus. <laughs> you got it from Jesus. Okay, if you read your Bible, you read Matthew, you read Mark, you read Luke. Those three Gospels, Jesus actually tells Peter and everybody else that he is the stone that the people rejected. The stone was speaking to the place of God's presence, the temple. It's the most holy place. And Jesus says that people are in fact... Because they're rejecting him, they're rejecting God. They're rejecting God's presence. So just like the stone spoke to the place where God dwells, Jesus told his disciples, when people reject me, they are rejecting the place where God dwells. God came to dwell with you. God showed up on planet Earth in the person of Jesus And Jesus says, what was a picture in the early part of the story, I'm now making clear. The temple is about the place where you meet with God. The stone speaks to the place where you meet with God. And Jesus is the center of the place where we meet with God. So to reject Jesus is to reject God. Now, if you keep reading the Bible, there are seven times in the New Testament where the stone comes up again and again by various Bible writers. Do you know this? In all seven, it leads to Jesus. So Peter just isn't making stuff up. Every Bible writer realizes what was written in the Old was meant to point us to Jesus. The Bible is one unified story that's leading us to Jesus. And I'm just going to give you one. Peter, who's preaching in the book of Acts. Now, Acts was not written by Peter. It was written by Luke. But notice how Luke... The doctor quotes Peter when he's sharing the good news. There's a person who was uh, ill and they were healed miraculously. And then Peter's written like they write to him or bring him in to give an account of this healing. And look at what he says. I'm going to get it midstream of what Peter says. Acts 4, verses 10 through 12. Let's just look at that. Acts 4, verses 10 through 12. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, But God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed because he was clearly healed. Jesus is, and then quote, he quotes from Psalm 118, one of the three places in the Old Testament that talk about a stone, meaning the presence of God. The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He gets it from Jesus and then he tells people, Jesus is the cornerstone. The bedrock, the, cor- the cornerstone was the stone that that guided out where the entire plot of the temple was going to be built, and that stone is where every stone came from and how it went up. And Jesus is the foundation of everything. Amen. Jesus is the stone that you rejected, but salvation's found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which. We must be saved. The presence of God comes in and through Jesus. Jesus is the bedrock that you can build your life on. And you know what he says to these Jesus-loving people right here in Hillsboro, or wherever you're watching or wherever you're from? Jesus is the one that the whole Bible's talking about. And so he's not just a man, he's the man. Amen. And we need to build our life on a strong and sure foundation. And he says to this church that's struggling, look, people are looking down on you for your faith. They don't realize they're building their house on something or someone that's crumbling. It looks pretty now, but when a storm comes, their life, their future will crumble if it's not built on the foundation of God himself, if it's not built on Jesus. So let's go back to 1 Peter and let's just think this through. 1 Peter 2. Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, chosen by God, and precious to him, I want you to catch this, the living stones. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house or a spiritual temple to be a holy priesthood. And then he gives the picture. The temple is a place where you offer sacrifices. Offering spiritual sac- sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, this picture is huge. Jesus is the living cornerstone, capital L, you know, he's the one who's alive, and, and, and he's the only one who can bring us into the right with God. But the picture is not just about Jesus, the picture is about you. We are. Like these living stones, we now, the church, are being built up together. The place where you met with God in ancient culture was a temple. You didn't just worship in your house. It's more of like a modern novelty because we don't want to go into a store. We want to go through a drive-thru. We don't, we don't want to shop in a place. We want to shop online. Me, 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 my, my, my. You know, everything's done in PJs work in PJs, go sleep in PJs. But in the ancient world, you went to holy places. God wasn't like your just buddy who popped into your living room. You went on God's terms, whatever God they were serving, and you sacrificed in a way that you could honor the God who's above you. And so their framework for worship is way different than ours. We worship in the cars, we're driving to work, right? And that's beautiful because that's what God intended. But in their world, you went to the place. And you know know what he's saying now? Because of Jesus, we, the people of God, are the place where God dwells. I want you to catch this. I say it all the time, but sometimes it's, it's misunderstood or not fully understood. Church is not a building to meet with God. Because that's, forgetting that Jesus came. The temple was a place where you met with God. But now because of Jesus, we, together, wherever we are, are the place where God's presence dwells, which is why Peter was used by God to heal a guy in the street, on a road. Because where was God's presence? Wherever God's people are, God's presence is this is a releasing beautiful thing it's why our faith is so precious now mind you buildings matter because buildings make it more hospitable so we're doing a reno on the building because we want a hospitable place to welcome people who may feel far from god or distant from him or don't know him or have questions about him we want to have, we want an inviting place for people to come but don't mistake the building for god's presence because and By the way, we handed you a little uh, community group discussion guide for this week to tease this out. I hope that you pick it out. The reason we do community groups is to remind ourselves church is not the place I go to. Church is the people I belong to. When you are in a living room or wherever you do this, if you do it by Zoom, God's presence is impacting Zoom. And Zoom is being taken over by God. Because while you're zooming with God's people, God's presence is there. And do you know you could zoom prayer to someone, pray to someone who's in a situation, and God could heal them, not even in the same room, encourage them, not even in the same room. And you don't even have to be on Zoom where you're all wearing your PJs in the bottom and your nice stuff up top. You could could just be on the phone with someone, and God's presence is not limited by buildings and spaces. But hear, hear me. We limit God because we think he's confined to those things. And the picture here is, no, living stones. Jesus is alive. He's changing your life. You can build your life on him. He's building now. You are being built up. I'm being built up to become a spiritual house where God's presence dwells, where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name. Where is he? He's there. And, and, and friend, as the culture moves, further and further from the way of Jesus, we're going to have to embrace this reality more and more. That God's presence is not confined to Sunday at 10 o'clock, online or in a space, or to community group, whether it's Thursday night at 6 o'clock, that's when our group meets for a few hours. No, wherever God's people are gathered in his name, we, we can trust him. So so church is the people of God together, being built up by God, and the church meets in all sorts of places. We're being built together. Which is why, now let's look at the implications of a living stone. Every stone matters. There was a fire next door to here, and if you look at it from the backside, you realize it looks like the thing's gonna crumble. You put a fire to a building, and then you realize, wow, all those support structures that were there are now quasi-crumbling and need to be rebuilt. But let's just look at us. Let's, we're talking metaphors and here are pictures. Everyone here is part of God's building, God's house, and we have different spaces. So, so let's just say in the back there, there's a door and a frame. So there's a frame, and then the door is connected by hinges, and it opens and closes, and it gives you the ability to go in and out. But what if the hinges just say, forget this, I'm tired of being a hinge, I'm out of here. I don't want to be here. I'm not growing here. I'm not benefiting here. They don't need me here. If the hinges say, we're no longer needed, well, then the door can't function because the door needs the hinge. And if the frame says, look, I want to be on stage. I'm a good-looking frame. I'm being limited to the back of the house when really I should be the center of the attention. And what if the bathroom said, nope, doesn't work anymore. Don't come in here. Leave me alone. We'll all be in trouble. Every piece of the house Matters. Some are seen, some are unseen. Some are viewed as valuable. Like when you walk in, that's the first thing. You see the front door. Like, that's a nice door. Or eh, I should paint that door. What you don't see is what's behind the walls, but it's what's behind the walls is holding the whole thing together. And so we need to rethink how we see ourselves as Jesus people. You are valuable. You matter, not just to Jesus. Yes, he's the living stone. By the way, all of the stones are built on the cornerstone. Don't mistake this. You're not Jesus. And I'm not Jesus. We all need Jesus. Jesus is the bedrock, but the picture's not meant just to point to Jesus. It's actually meant to point to you. Don't forget, church scattered all over the Roman Empire that's being harassed, that's being pushed at, that's being mocked. Don't forget, you are the spiritual house. The presence of God is with you wherever you go. Man, this is so, that's such good news. All right, I'm gonna keep going. Verse seven, all right. So Peter reminds them as well that this living stone, which is, we, we built our life on Jesus, Jesus is building it up, but don't forget another part of this picture is that this stone is going to divide. Notice verse seven. Now you who believe the stone, Jesus, is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Again, he quotes that Old Testament passage saying, God told us in advance, the stone the builders rejected had become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people, this is interesting, to stumble and a rock that makes them, what, Fall. And why do they stumble? They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So the, let's look at the visual. Living stone, I build my house. Jesus is the bedrock. I'm built up in him. But I belong to Jesus and I belong to you. We're interconnected as living stones. We're all together housing the presence of God, helping people experience life in Jesus. But when we do that, let's not forget People's response to Jesus matters. Many that they were sharing their faith with, with were rejecting Jesus. Many that we love are not interested in Jesus. Like, look, I like you, just don't give me your Jesus. Don't be surprised. Because these Old Testament passages point to reality. When Jesus comes, some people are going to respond in faith to him and be rescued and built up. Some are going to reject him, and it's going to cause a crushing. It's not like Jesus wants to crush them. It's just the weight of the presence of Jesus when you reject him. In the end, you will suffer apart from Jesus because who gives life? Jesus. So if someone has the Son of God, Jesus, they have life. If you do not embrace and follow Jesus, you do not have the life that God intended. Now you're breathing and you're wonderful and you're good and you're flawed and you sin. You're all those things. But if you want to live eternally with God, if you want to know God now and know God forever, then you need the Son. I need the Son. And so this message is so precious. It's why we go everywhere and tell everyone everywhere how wonderful Jesus is because he's wonderful. But when we share warning. They rejected Jesus. And at times, they will reject his followers. Jesus said to his disciples, look, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent greater than the one who sent them. If they rejected me, they're going to reject you. He says, don't worry when they bring you before rulers and authorities, because at the time, I will give you the words to speak. Jesus warned his followers, we're living in a world where some will be rescued, and some will reject. And by the way, Jesus himself was rejected, so we should know this, that sometimes we will experience what Jesus experienced. A a quote from one of the uh, commentators, Karen Jobs, on this passage, she says, Apparently Peter's readers were receiving a barrage of verbal abuse designed to demean, discredit, and shame the believers as social and moral deviance, endangering the common good. And this procedure of public shaming was employed as a means of social control with the aim of pressuring this minority community to conform to conventional values and standards of conduct. When Peter's writing, the culture at large is trying to push this Jesus movement down and the way they're doing it is by pressuring you and pressuring me to say, Jesus plus. Look, it's okay to love your Jesus. Just don't say Jesus is the only way. Just don't say, just say he's a way. Like, there's lots of ways, and how could you be so narrow to say that one person is the way? And until someone can let me know of the sinless one who is God himself, who paid my sin debt in full, until there's someone who's sinless, who's paid for my sin and fault, And how can I say that there's many ways? How, how, how can I belittle what God has done by saying that, oh, you know what, what Jesus did, it was almost enough, but it's not enough. I, I don't have that option. But society at large is going to say, if you take that tact with us, it will cost you. I was in Pakistan just a couple of weeks ago. And one of our hosts, one of the pastors there, I was just asking him how, because when you're there, you realize this is very non-Christian, 98% Muslim, and uh, the culture is Islamic, not just the people, the structures, the institutions, the signage, the sounds, it's all not in connection. We're not used to that. And I asked, well, you know, how is it living here, and how do Christians navigate the tension? And he was like... Uh, When you're a Christian, they will try to keep you down, and they do it in business. The best-paying jobs in Pakistan are government-paying jobs. And when those are posted, the ones that are really low, pay low and socially low, they will literally write in the advertisement, if it's a street sweep cleaner that's done by hand, Christians, please apply in the actual advertisement, as a social pressure to say, hey, Jesus people, the few of you out there, this is what you can do. And so they, they feel capped. But at the same token, they know who they are in Christ. So they don't use it to fight back in a normal way that people want to fight back, but rather they say, we're just faithful where we're at. We'll do the low, dirty jobs because we know who we are in Christ. See, that's the kind, and you know what? It's happening more and more in school and in the workplace, here. To affirm biblical values as being from God is almost laughable and could get you fired. You know it. Now, because of human resources laws, we're quasi-protected in some places, but mark my words, over the next 5, 10, 20 years, if Jesus doesn't come back, the trend is that it will become more challenging in the workplace to have biblical values. Now, here's what you need to remember. You are a living stone. I don't need the culture to say that Jesus is okay for me to know that Jesus is the way, truth, and life. So what we need is not to fight back with violence or meanness, but to stand our ground with love. I know I've been born again. And I know the living God. And so, you know, it's okay to not agree. But if you're ever sick or ever in trouble or ever need help, you could call on me. I'm right here. I have have Jesus not far away. And I would love to pray for you. And I would love to serve you. And I know a power that is not human. It is from above. And so we could be the kind of people who are not cocky, but confident. I know who I belong to. And when we lose our confidence and forget you belong to Jesus and Jesus is building in the world, then, then you may miss an opportunity. Now, uh, there may be some rejection, but you're a living stone. Let's just look quickly at two more pictures real fast because they're, they're beautiful and they're a little more obvious. Verse 9. But you, and then these pictures. Our chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's two pictures here. There's lots. I just want to look at two. This royal priesthood, And holy nation, who are you? Well, you're a living stone. Jesus is the foundation. You're being built. You're alive. You're not just a stone. You're a live stone. You have eternal life living in you. And then because of that, and he's looking at the temple. He's thinking about temple is the place where God's presence dwells, right? Who are you? Also, you're not only part of the wall or ceiling or floor. You're connected. You're actually active. You're a royal priest. He, he does a word mash. You, you actually weren't a royal priest in the Old Testament. You were of the royal line of King David, or you were of the priestly line of, king, uh, uh, of the priest Aaron. So the only person who could be royalty was the person who could say, my DNA stems back to the kings, because it went from father to son. Unless someone tried to kill the king, and then they were usually ki- killed in a coup. Just read the book of Kings, and it's messy. But 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 royalty came from a family line. So one percent of you have a chance to be royalty. One percent, if that. And you have to be the eldest son of the king. So there's like no chance of you being royalty. You know what he says? In Jesus, you're royal. Because Jesus is a real king, and now my DNA stems from who? Jesus. I am royalty in Jesus. Oh. And by the way, I'm a priest. Like, what is that? So royalty, king, the king was meant to protect and love and care and cause the people to grow and flourish. And you know what? Because I belong to Jesus, I now have the ability to together because we're one family and we're built into one house I can be used by God to see you grow in Christ. And I can be an encouragement to you and a blessing to you and you to me. We together are royalty. We represent Jesus. We have his power and he's using us to build each other up. And then he says, you're a priest. What's a priest do? Do you know a priest, their role was to stand at the gateway between the world and God's presence and say, here's how you come in. And so you now, every single one of you, a six-year-old, 66-year-old, You are all this combination. You belong to the DNA of Jesus. You are reigning with Him. Whatever God wants to do in the world, do you know He could do through you? Whatever God wants to do, He could do through you. You say, well, I haven't been to seminary. Who cares? Now, I think learning the Bible is a good thing, and I think growing your faith is a good thing, but if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the capacity to be used by God to do anything that God wants to do. And it's very specific. Priests invite people into the presence of God so you can be used by God to help people experience life in Jesus. Now, he is speaking to lower the end of the social structure, poor people who looked up at the rich, who looked up at the elite, who looked up to the Roman authorities and thought, they've got all the power, they've got all the presence, they have the life I want. And he says, are you kidding me? You belong to Jesus. You are royalty and you are a part of God's house, inviting people into God's presence. And this is altogether true of every single one of you. Before this, you had to be of the line, of the tribe, of Aaron, otherwise you do not qualify. And now he says, I don't care where you come from, ethnically or spiritually or geographically. It doesn't make a difference. You have the Spirit. You are part of a holy nation. What's that picture? So royal priesthood, I'm there to protect, love, care, help the community to grow. I'm also a priest. I'm inviting people into the presence of God. And now together we're a holy nation. Who is the holy nation? He's not making up these terms. He just knows the Bible. The holy nation in the first part of the Bible were God's people together, the people called Israel. What did it take to be a part of Israel? Well, two things. One, you were either born in the line of Abraham. So you were born into this family line. Or you converted and you became a Jew. But when you followed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God saw them as a people who were to be used by him to bless the world. Abraham, you're going to be a, a great nation and I'm going to use you, and you're going to bless the world. The call of Abraham was not just to have a plot of land. The call of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his kids were to be the place where God's presence is so real that everyone looked and said, I want to be one of those. I want to be where God is. I want what God has. I want to follow God, because they follow God. And now he says, this is scandalous. No matter what ethnic background or geographic or spiritual you are now brought in, you're engrafted, you're adopted. You are now part of the people of God. And church, we need to remember who we are, the people of God. We have been adopted into God's family. We are royal priests authorized to share Jesus with everyone everywhere. You have the authority. So you're like, Not me, I don't have the personality. Wait a minute, the Holy Spirit is living in you. Please stop making excuses for what God can't do in you. When God's saying, I'm with you. And whether it's raising children, whether it's being godly in the workplace, whether it's simply loving your physical neighbor who is directly next to you, you are qualified by God to be all that Jesus wants to be to them. He now wants to do you, all right. One last qualifier, because in English, this looks like Peter is saying, "You, Tony, you, Beth, or you know, or you, Andrew." It, it looks like he's saying, "Like, man, I'm pretty amazing." What you have to remember is that in the original language, every "you" here is in plural. So he is not saying, "Anton, you are the royal priest," David. Sorry, Malawi isn't as awesome as South Africa. That's not true. But you, you're going to have to be someone less. No, no, no. You together, everyone who follows Jesus, are all these things. So no matter where I came from, it, it does matter in that my background might be helpful to help other people, but it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't cap me on what God can do through me. Anyone who's in Jesus could do anything Jesus wants to do. So let me get to the punchline. You have your place in the body. What Peter's saying in all of these pictures is you're connected to Jesus, you have your place. You're connected to one another, you have your place. You're royalty, you're authorized by God, you have your place. You're a priest, you're a welcome. So when, when this is crazy, when your community group meets this week, you just need to know how holy that is. Like, we don't seem that Holy. Like, no, no, when you all walk into that room together, no matter how far you feel like you've progressed in Jesus, you have the same Holy Spirit living in you. And no matter how far you've fallen from following him up to between now, because I got a feeling 100% of us are going to sin before we get to our community group. It's going to happen. But wait a minute, I belong to Jesus. When you come together, you are the Jesus people together. And God can do anything through anyone to help anyone in that group. The leader is no more holy than the newcomer. We all belong to Jesus. It doesn't mean we disrespect authority. It doesn't mean there is no order. It doesn't mean that anarchy is what Jesus is leading to. No, 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 no. But what it means is now there isn't a far off line and Jesus is way up there and I'll never make it to him. That no longer exists in the kingdom of God. Jesus is in us all. So we're a real family and we need each other. I need you. Hear me. I need you to remember who you are and to step in to the things that Jesus has your name on. Jesus has your name on things he does not have my name on. There are hinges that have said bye-bye. And the door's falling down. Why is the door falling down? It's because the hinges aren't in their place. And so in this next season, I'm inviting you to encounter Jesus and remember who you are in him no matter where you come from week to week. If you have had a great week, encounter Jesus. If you had a horrible week, encounter Jesus. Make this a space where we encounter Jesus and take your place. So what are the things... That Jesus is, because usually he's already been nudging us and we've been making excuses why we can't do it. And so I don't have to answer it for you because you have the Holy Spirit who's already showing you in your soul, this is where I want you to start. And it doesn't mean you're stuck there. It means that's where I want you to start. And I found over the last 30, 40 years of my life, it's changed, you know, I'm still connected to the body, but my peace has changed over time, and that's a beautiful thing. But step by step, God wants to use you. Step in your place. And this includes, and I will, I will say this, and we want to respond with worship, it includes everyone doing their part often, okay? Uh, and so when, when we think about how church functions and the body functions, it's because everyone's doing their part. Like, unashamedly, I'm calling all of us, myself included, to regular, sacrificial, ongoing generosity in the kingdom, right? Um, The resources God gives me are not all for me, no matter what the culture tells me. The resources that God gives me every month, part of them are for me, part of them are to be saved for the future, because that's God's plan part of what god gives me is actually for you and so when i remember that and i i give regularly out of the overflow of gratitude of god's generosity because you're like well i I can't volunteer because i have 12 kids and a really small car and i can't get here And like okay well we all can be faithful in our generosity all year long and when we do that it gives the community the capacity to meet every need. Now, here's what I would say. Many, many, many of you already do that, and I want to say thank you. Like, you're, you're faithful. But I think in this season, as we reevaluate, you know, where we're going as the future as a church, it's going to take all of us doing our part. And I, I invite you to do that. Um, the Holy Spirit knows where you're at, and the Holy Spirit knows where he wants you to be. So what, what's my, what do I do? Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I have found. The Holy Spirit pushes the envelope in my life. (laughs) He usually says, more for others, Jose, more for others, because I have an abundance, I have everything. Rarely is God saying, you're giving too much. What are you doing? Stop it. What would it look like if we were the kind of people that God had to say, stop it? Literally. It happened in the Bible when they built the tabernacle. Moses, on behalf of God, had to say, stop giving. Enough is enough. I think we have room to grow. I think we have a lot of room to grow. So Holy Spirit of God, we invite you now to take the words from Scripture and, and now tease them out in our soul. Lord, what do you want? What do you want of us as a people? Who are the people and places in our city you're preparing us to love and serve and care for in practical ways and in sharing the good news of Jesus who is eternal life. Lord, we want to step in full on unashamed because we're we're living stones. Jesus, you're the corner, you're the center of everything, and so our worship is of you. Amen.